Hallelujah. What a wonderful morning of worship we have already had. Uh, if you are a guest with us, then uh, I hope that, that we can make you and have already made you feel like family and that you are welcome here. And we're excited to be able to fellowship with our church family and with guests alike uh, here in just a little bit as uh, we uh, have our annual fish fry and uh, what, a, what a wonderful time it is. And I hope that uh, as we have said the last few weeks, I hope that you won't just come and eat and then run. I hope that you'll stick around and fellowship with us uh, and uh, just have a, have a great afternoon of being a church family. And certainly this morning uh, with the kids, what a wonderful time with them and um, just reminding us that God is our treasure and that there is only one path to him. And so thankful for them and uh, that time that, that I get to spend with them. Um, it's a blessing for me, to me for sure. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2 as we continue to look at uh, this sermon series entitled Repentance for Revival as we look at Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk together, these four minor prophets that we honestly don't spend a ton of time uh, on a lot in our sermons and in, uh, in Sunday school. We, we tend to kind of look over them. We've entitled the, uh, the sermon series, Repentance for Revival, and just as a reminder of what repentance is, because sometimes we just need a refresher course um, for these terms that we throw out that we don't use. We don't use repentance really in any other place in our life other than, than church. So sometimes it's good for us just to remember repentance, repentance, if you'll remember, looks like someone walking in a direction and their whole life is focused on one thing, whether it's a passion of theirs or pursuing what the world says is important or pursuing what their culture in, invests in. And it might, be, it might be a whole host of things, but they're walking this direction. And in walking this direction, we have with our actions and maybe even with our words said, God, we don't need you. God, we can live this life better than you. My day in and day out is, is you are unnecessary. And we've rebelled against God and we've pursued our own, our own plans and our own passions. But at some point in life, whether it's a warning or whether it's a word of caution or whatever, we realize that the end of this road, the destination that this road leads to is destruction. And that there is nothing good at the end of this road. And so we hear that and we understand that we have to stop going this way. And so we turn in an act of repentance. That's, that's what it means is just to turn and we focus back on God and we come to him and we ask for forgiveness for, for rebelling, forgiveness for trying to do it our own way. And we make a commitment to follow him. And what we find is, is not only does this road lead to blessing, not only does this road lead to life, but it leads to good things in the here and now as well. It leads to blessing in the here and now and contentment and satisfaction and hope and peace. And so repentance is that turning. And oftentimes we use that in reference to those that don't know Christ yet, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you, we talk about the lost person turning and finding Christ and being found in him. But the reality is, is that even Christians, those that claim to be believers, at times we're walking in this direction and we get distracted. And we're like, oh, look at that little neat thing. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty nifty and, and useful. And oh, look, there's another one over here. And, and look, there's another one right here. And oh my goodness, there's so many of these wonderful little things. And what we find is we get distracted by life. And the next thing we know, we're headed right back the same direction that we were. 
And God has to tap us on the shoulder. And some of us hear the tap. Some of us need, you know, more than that. And we turn and he reminds us, hey, you're supposed to be going this direction. So repentance is not just a one-time thing that happens in the life of an individual. But because we have a tendency to get distracted and make loops, it's something that's ongoing in our lives. Jonah sees that here in chapter 2. Jonah finds a need to repent because he has gone the wrong way. And so this morning, we're going to look at the work of repentance in our life as believers and in the life of unbelievers. And so if you would, please honor the Word of God by standing with us this morning. If you are unable to stand, we totally understand that. We're going to read all of chapter 2. It's 10 verses, not super long. But if you would uh, read along with me. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we have much to be thankful for, much to rejoice in, much to praise you for, and Lord, we want to do all of that, and we have done much of that already. Lord, I pray that you would give us the air in our lungs to continue. At the same time, Lord, we know that That there are times in our life that are difficult. There are storms that you bring into our life that you allow to happen. That there are are difficult situations and relationships. And Father, we don't want to ignore that either. Pray that you would help us to learn. Pray that we would listen in the midst of those difficult things for your voice. A voice of instruction a voice of a father, the voice of compassion and grace, the voice that brings us out of those things again. Father, may you speak to us this morning. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last week, we started this book, Jonah, and we talked about how Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament during Israel, a time when Israel and Judah were divided. And God had already spoken to Jonah 
He had used Jonah in the past. Jonah would have, as a prophet, made vows to speak that which God told him to speak, to whom God told him to speak. And yet, God comes to Jonah in chapter 1 and says, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, a known enemy of Israel. I want you to go to that city and I want you to speak to them and tell them if they continue on the path they are going, if they continue to do evil things, destruction is coming. Jonah, having no love for Assyrians, having no compassion for those people, tries to run from God and run from that command. He, he takes that detour and heads not towards God any longer, but away from him and thinking that he can outrun God, which is just a ridiculous thing. Like, it's just a ridiculous thing to think. I can go anywhere that God is not, that I can run away from all of, all of these commands he's given me. But that's what Jonah tries to do. What Jonah finds, though, is God's discipline. You see, God, when, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we ask him to forgive us of our sins and we make a commitment to follow him, he adopts us into the family and he is a good father. No matter what your experience is with your earthly father, know that your heavenly father is perfect, that he is loving unconditionally so. His love doesn't waver, that he's merciful and graceful, that he is a God, a father, a good father who knows how to give good gifts, incredible blessing. But he is also a God that disciplines his children well, that he desires for us to be safe, that he desires what's best for us, that he desires us to grow and mature into to healthy Christian adults, just as our parents should desire to discipline us so we grow up well, knowing right from wrong. God desires the same thing. So when we run from him, yes, there are times that God disciplines his children in fact, Paul tells us that if we do not experience discipline, that we should be worried, that there should be concern if we never experience God's discipline, because we're not perfect, and also because God does not discipline those that are not his children. So Jonah experiences this discipline. It's interesting, though, that God chooses in this situation to discipline Jonah by giving him what he wants. There are times in, a, in, in the life of a parent where the parent realizes that the best form of discipline, the fair, best form of training is to give the child what they want so that they can experience the consequence for themselves. I think of uh, a time I was, I think I was eight or nine, and, and I may have shared this story before, but I think I was eight or nine, and we were at my grandmother's house, my mom's mom, wonderful, wonderful lady. And she always had Oreos. And I, I am an Oreo fanatic. Like, I like them in milk, like right before they fall apart. And some of you are like, ooh, that's gross. Well, you don't drink it with milk, and I think that's gross. So, we're even. So, I see this package, this brand new package of Oreos. And I'm like, I want some Oreos. And grandmother, my grandmother being a great grandma, was like, you can have Oreos. I'm like, I don't think you understand, grandma. I want all of the Oreos. Like, I want to eat the whole package. She's like, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm like, well, I don't think you know what you're talking about. And so my grandmother, in her wisdom, and in a form of discipline that I did not understand at the moment, says, fine, eat all of the Oreos. And so I ate, as an eight, nine-year-old, I ate a whole package of Oreos and all the milk that I could get my hands on. 
I've never known sickness like that. I've never, I've never known that. And for a long time, I didn't eat Oreos. <laughs> and I can remember the next morning, Grandma waking up and sitting with me at the breakfast table and saying, so how did that go? And me looking at her and going, you know how that went. <laughs> and still to this day, as I, I have regained a taste for Oreos as an adult and I still sit down and occasionally I'm like, man, I love these things. I could eat this whole package. And my brain goes back to being an eight-year-old, nine-year-old and sitting in a bathroom and thinking, never do this again. Never do this again. Right? And so I restrain myself. We only eat half a package now. Right? Sometimes God does the same thing. And God does that for Jonah. God looks at us and he looks at Jonah in this situation and he says, okay, you want you want this, then I'm going to give it to you. And Jonah's desire was to separate himself from God, right? That's the whole reason he's running. That's why he gets on the boat, because he doesn't want God. He says, I'm done. I'm out. And God's response in this moment of Jonah's life is to say, okay. If that's what you want, then that's what you can have. And God lifts his hands temporarily from Jonah. And what Jonah finds out is that whether you see it or feel it or understand it or not, all of us are covered by the hands of God of protection and by provision. That God prevents a great deal. Now, we still deal with disease. There are those that still deal with famine and natural disasters. I am not saying that God prevents all things from happening. There are times when God allows difficult things into our life. But know that by and large, God keeps his hand of protection over us. That God provides that there is air in our lungs, that there is food in our belly, that there's a shelter over our head because God has done that. Jesus tells us that the rain falls on the good and the evil alike, that God's hands are over all of humanity. And for, but for this moment, because it's, it's Jonah's desire, God says, fine, you don't want me, I will take my hands off. And Jonah finds out what it means to be separated from God. And what he realizes is that there is a panic. He experiences a small taste of the panic of hell. Look with me back at our text. Notice he says there, he says in verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Okay, so God has separated himself from Jonah. And then you see the panic set in. Look at verse 5. It says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my, about my head at the roots of the mountains. And these, these few short words, Jonah is describing the panic of being separated from God. That it is this crushing weight that literally the air is being squeezed out of his lungs as he drops farther and farther into the ocean. That his attempts to get back to the surface are futile. That they are, are hindered by these seaweed and all the stuff that's around him. That, that it seems that he is being drugged down farther and farther and farther away from God, away from life. What Jonah finds is that separation from God is 
literally hell. And he just gets a taste of it. He just gets a taste of it. But what we see in Scripture, and, and Jesus talks about it, the New Testament talks about it, Revelation gives a, a horrific picture, is that when we go this direction and we say, I don't need you, God. I don't want you. I don't need your plans. I don't need your instructions for my life. I can do it on my own. That though God is a God of grace and mercy and love, un fathomable love that there comes a point when God says if that is your decision here you go and for many people that means they step through the doorway of death into separation from God in a place that is literally hell and there is no turning back at that point God does Jonah a favor by giving him a small taste of it before that point, so that Jonah could make a decision, so that Jonah could understand the seriousness of what he wants. And then God puts it in this book so that we would heed the warning without having to taste it ourselves. We do not really want what we think we do. We think we want separation. We think we want independence. We think that we want to run our own lives. We think we want to be away from a God who, who, makes, who in the world's eyes makes everything a rule. We think we want that. But what we find in the end is that separation from him is not at all what we want. Jonah experiences the panic of hell. Jonah also feels the weight of death. I'm going to read, I'm going to back up to five and read that part again. It says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He says, I, I came face to face with death. I was right there. You can imagine he's, he's at the, <laughs> the bottom of the ocean constrained, feeling the weight of the water, unable to breathe. He's like, I, I looked death in the face. I felt its weight. He says, it's, it's horrible. We, we as a culture largely don't like to talk about this issue. We have hidden everything that we can. We have a whole industry designed to take care of death so we don't have to look at it and think about it and touch it. And so we often aren't confronted by these questions of what does it mean to die? What happens after that? How do you deal with that? Because they frighten us. Because the world looks at death and says, that's a final thing, and it's, it's a scary thing. So we choose to just run away from it. We choose not to deal with it. We choose not to think about it. But Jonah comes face to face with it, and he, he has no other option but then to deal with it. And what he reminds us of is that for those who repent for those who turn and go the other direction death is not a 
doorway of doom, but rather it is a doorway to glory. There is hope. Thank goodness that 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 is what I've already talked about for the last several minutes, that that's not the end of the story, that that's not the end of the message of the gospel. The gospel is that there is good news, that there is hope. Jonah, you'll notice that when when we went through chapter 2 and I was reading to you the, the disparity of Jonah and how he was facing difficult things, did you notice that I was skipping things? I was skipping passages. I was skipping lines. Because even in the midst of all of these things, Jonah knows that for God's children, there is more. Jonah doesn't just experience God's discipline. He experiences God's grace. God's children. Jonah knows that there is more. He knows that God's children are never hopeless. Go back up to verse one or verse two. We skipped over some things. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. Sheol is a place of the dead. I cried and you heard my voice. He says, there's hope. I'm not alone in this. I'm not, I'm not facing this without help. That when even in the midst of the most incredible panic and difficulty that I've ever experienced in my life, he is there. God is right there. And he is listening. And he is hearing me. And not only does he listen and not only does he hear And not only is there hope in just that knowledge, but there's hope in the understanding that God's children will be brought home. If you are his, there is always hope in the situation. If you are his, there's always assurance that you will be brought home. Look what it says there in verse 4. We read the first part. It says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. But we skipped over the second lines, or the second stanza. It says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He says, yeah, I'm I'm in this place of despair. I'm in this place of, of grief and panic and fear. And yet, even in this moment, there is hope because I know you bring your children home. Now, it's interesting here. Because Jonah... And I'm going to try not to to go too deep in this because it's kind of a history lesson and I'll nerd out if I'm not careful. But remember, this is a time in Israel's history when you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom where where Jonah is from and where Jonah lives, there is no holy temple. And they didn't go to Jerusalem just on a whim because those people weren't friends at that point. So what is he talking about here? He's not talking about the holy temple in Jerusalem. He's talking about the holy temple in heaven. He says, I'm going to call you. I'm going to see home. I'm going to see something more. He says, even in the midst of all of this, even if this is the end, I know it's not the end. You see, the great news and the great hope that that believers have, that those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ have, is that we don't look at death as a final destination. We look at death as a doorway home, as a doorway into all of the glory of heaven into his presence, and we look forward to it. Not that we run towards death, not that we we find some great satisfaction in it. We live life now and we live it well, but we don't fear it. 
Because we know there's more. Because God's given grace, that unmerited favor to us. God's children are never hopeless. God's children will be brought home. And God's children will be saved. Going down a little farther, verse 6. Again, we didn't read the whole passage. It says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. In other words, I went down to death. Yet you brought me up, up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And then in verse 9, you see the confession of Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God's children are never hopeless. God's children will be brought home. And God's children will be saved. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we make that commitment to stop following our way and stop, start following his way, you can take this home that you are his and you will never lose it. Jesus says, God has given you to me. He has placed you in my hand and nothing can take you away from me. And not only that, but my hand is in the Father's hand and nothing, nothing can break that. Paul says, what can separate me from the love of God? And the final conclusion is nothing, nothing. God's children will be saved. That is the declaration of Jonah. Salvation is from the Lord. And so we see these two, two separate things. They're combined beautifully and in the, light, in the heart of a good father. But we see the the discipline of God to, to correct the actions of his children, but we also see the incredible grace of God to bring them back to restoration and to save them. And we see this beautiful picture in Jonah chapter 2, but notice we also see the path. We talked earlier about finding our treasure with the kids, that we have to follow a, a treasure map, a path to get where we want to go. And we shared with them just briefly that when we understand that God's our treasure, we understand there's only one way. Jesus Christ says, I am the way. No one gets to the Father except through me. So there's a, Jonah not only sees God's discipline, he sees his grace, but he also experiences God's path through confession and repentance. We see Jonah's confession where we just read, in verse 9, it says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It is his alone. No, there is no other way. There is no other, no other avenue. Again, I've been here long enough that I'm starting to lose my mind in what stories I've shared with you and what I haven't. But I can remember, I can remember in grad school, I was um, doing applied linguistics, and I was in this uh, class with with several different people at the University of Memphis, Go Tigers, and sitting there, eight of us, and one of the people in that class was a, a lady, a middle-aged lady from Yemen. She was Muslim. She was a wonderful student, a brilliant woman, who had escaped a country where education was not an option for her. And she's sitting in this class, and, and we're, we're sitting and talking, and we had incredible conversations about faith, incredible conversations about faith. But our, our professor was a universalist. He, he was one that would say, all paths lead to God. It doesn't matter what your faith is. All, you can get to God in however faith you like. And I, I remember, and I, I was, I was youngish. I mean, I was fresh out of college. It was my first time away from home, really, because I went to HLG 
And I can remember sitting there in that class and trying to ponder, like, how am I going to answer this guy? Like, how, how, how is the best way to talk to him? Because I want to be respectful, but, and of all people, this lady from Yemen gave me my answer. She looked at him one day as he was, we were having a discussion, and, and our, our discussions were always civil, and well, we oftentimes after, after class, we would go out for coffee, and like, it was just good. But he was listening to us, and he reminded us, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. All paths lead to God. And she finally looked at him and just said, no, you have to choose. You have to choose. Either he's right, and I'm going to hell, or I'm right, and he is. But you have to stop the waffling. You have to make a decision. Because there's only one way. And I just sat there, and I went, I'm, I'm with her. Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Notice what else he says here in verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He says, those that chase something else other than God forsake, they forfeit God's steadfast love. Ponder that for a minute. Those that make other things more important than God, they are choosing to forego, to ignore, to never experience His love. It is not that God withholds it from them. It's they have said, no thanks. And before we think, well, I don't have a little wooden object. I don't have a little metal object in my life that I worship that I sacrifice a, a goat to every Thursday. An idol is anything that you put above him. It could be money. It could be a relationship. It could be achievement. It could be a job. It could even be family. Now, again, I've said this before, but let me say it again. God loves your family more than you do. He wants you to love your family. And I promise you that if you will put him first, the family thing will work itself out. But we can, at times, get those in the wrong order. We put family before God, and then things start getting a little crazy. They start getting a little messed up. But hear this. If we choose to worship something other than him, if we choose to make something else more important than him, then we are choosing to say, I don't need your love. I don't need your salvation. I don't need your grace or your mercy. You can keep it. Jonah makes a confession. The path to God's grace, the path to God's salvation is through the Lord and the Lord alone. In Acts, you have the apostle Paul. And Paul is in prison with another fella and they are chained to the wall, and they, but they are singing their hearts out. They are singing the gospel. They are singing God's praise. They are singing about how wonderful he is in the midst of a prison where they have, they have been stripped of all dignity, like they are rejoicing. And the jailer is hearing this, and so are all the other inmates. And there comes an earthquake in the night, and the, the doors of the jail fly open, and their chains fall off. We don't know whether they fell off the wrist or maybe they fell off the wall. However, however it was, they were loose. They were free to go. And the jailer sees all this, and he just assumes that all of them have ran, that all of them escaped. And for a Roman jailer, if you let the prisoners go, there were some not so fun consequences that follow. And so he's like, I'm just going to, 
I'm just going to hurt myself and make this all go away. I'm not going to face all of that. And so he's contemplating that. And from the jail, Paul yells out, don't do it. Don't hurt yourself. Like, we're still here. And the, the jailer's like, what? And he, you can just imagine he walks into the jail, and there's all the prisoners still in their, their cells. And he's like, huh? And he runs over to, to Paul, and he realizes that his biggest obstacle is not his physical life. It's his soul. And he, he goes to, to Paul, and he's like, how can I be saved? And Paul's response is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. It's not complicated. It's to confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the boss. To say, I'm not going to follow my own way. I'm going to follow him now. There's a confession, but there's also repentance. You'll remember what I said earlier. That Jonah as a prophet would have probably made a vow. He would have, he would have made a commitment to go where God sends him. To say what God tells him to say. And yet what we see in chapter 1 is Jonah makes a beeline the other direction. When Jonah doesn't want to do something, Jonah runs from all that. And he says, forget what I promised. Forget what I've said. I'm, I'm headed the other direction but there's repentance. There's that turning moment that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. He says, what I have vowed, I will pay. In other words, he says, I'm going to stop going this way. And I'm going to start going this way. If you want to experience the grace of God, if you want to experience the mercy of God, if you want to experience the love of God, if you want to experience heaven, if you want to experience the blessing of contentment and hope and peace in this life, if you want those things, there is but one path, and it is through Jesus Christ by confession and by repentance. Brother or sister in Christ, you've already have a relationship with him. If you there are times that we get distracted like Jonah and we start chasing the neat things of the world and what we find is that we find ourselves in a point somewhere that we realize we're facing the wrong way and there is a need for repentance. Many of us went through the One Cry book at the beginning of the year and, and there was a great outcry and a great prayer for revival. But if you'll remember, where does revival start? It starts with the individual. And it starts with repentance. To say, I'm going the wrong way. I know better, but I'm going the wrong way. Jonah experiences God's discipline, his grace. He experiences God's path and he experiences God's salvation. He says, yet, verse 6, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10, a very physical salvation. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah experiences all the whole gamut of running. He experiences the discipline. He experiences God's grace. By the way, grace comes through the fish. <laughs> he experiences confession and repentance, and he experiences salvation here at the end. God gives him a second chance. He spits him back out onto dry land. And one of the things that we see through all of this, is that God will go to any lengths to reach you. 
he will go to any lengths to reach you. Look at what he does in this path. Look what he does in Jonah. Just take that book for a minute. He sends a deadly storm that threatens to break apart a ship and drown everybody aboard so that he could not only get Jonah's attention, but so that he could get the attention of all the sailors on board that they might know Christ, that they may know Christ and God, that they may have a relationship there, that they may believe in the one true God. He sends a fish to swallow Jonah to spare his life. He does this incredible miracle that Jonah may know him, that, he, that Jonah may repent He uses a word of doom and destruction to the people of Nineveh so that they may know life. He uses the cross, the ultimate instrument of death and torture that he may pay for our sin, our mistakes, that we may have a way to him. And my guess is is that as I look through this room that we could talk to individuals who would say, he will go to any lengths to get you. He has placed you here in this moment, at this time that you may hear this word, but he will go to any lengths to make that happen. That you may know him, that you may know his grace and his love. Jonah understood that. The other thing that we know from this passage is that God is faithful to save those who confess and repent. You may come to me and say, Brian, Brian, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know the thoughts that I've had. You don't know the things that I've done that no one knows about. And I'm, you're right. I don't know those things that you hope no one ever finds out about. But I do know this, I have them too. That I have things in my life that I hope people never find out about. But I can tell you this for certain, that when I realized the mistakes I'd made and that my path was leading to destruction, I came to him, and I said, I'm sorry. Can we try this again? Can I follow you? And his response was, come home. His response was, absolutely. Let's do this. I've got you. And I can promise you that his response to you will be the same. If you will just cry out, I want to come home. And so the question is this morning, will you? Will you reach out? Maybe you're here this morning and you have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've come to church your whole life. You've believed in him a lot. But you've never really committed to following him. This morning, will you realize that the way you're going ends in nothing good? And will you repent? This morning, maybe, maybe you're a believer like Jonah, and, but you've just gotten distracted. Maybe it's direct disobedience like Jonah. Maybe it's just you've allowed life to creep in and, and to get you off course. Maybe you just need to say, I need to get back on track. 
I need, to, I need to get back to him. It's not God saving you again. It's just him bringing you home. This, every once in a while, I have an experience as a parent that I'm sure none of you have ever had, but you're disciplining your child and they're sitting on the chair and you're like, just say you're sorry. And the child is screaming, I don't want to. I want to go play. I want to go have fun. I want to do this. I don't want to be in this chair anymore. And as a parent, you're sitting there going, me too. I don't want to be here either. I want to go have fun. I want to go experience good things with you. I want to laugh. I want to play. I don't want to be here either. Friends, I think sometimes we go through the storms of life longer and farther than we ever have to because we're sitting in the middle of all of our misery saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And God is sitting there going, me either. Won't you just repent? Brothers and sisters, this is a message to us. Sometimes we go through God's discipline and we're going through hard times. And I'm not saying every hard time in your life is discipline. Don't hear that. But sometimes it is. And God is standing there and just saying, come home. Just stop. What will be your response today? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And we're going to have a time. Because we, we believe here that when God speaks and, his, and his, through his word, not because of what I do, not because of, of a gift that I have, but because of what he says, that we have a responsibility to respond. If he is speaking to us, then we should speak back to him. This morning, we're going to have music, but you respond the way that the Lord would have. Maybe it's to sing, and that's great. Maybe it's to come to this altar. Maybe it's to repent at your seat. Maybe it's to go find somebody that that you need to have a talk with. Maybe it's to cry out to the Lord, I know I've gone the wrong way. I want to go your way. If that's you this morning, I hope you'll come find somebody. Tell us. Let us help you to figure out what's next. We want to walk with you. You don't walk this alone. But you respond as God leads. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, I am thankful that you... You are a good father. <laughs> you are a wonderful father. And I'm thankful that you don't leave me to my own ways, that you have consistently tapped me on the shoulder to encourage me, to praise me. That other times that you've tapped me on the shoulder and said, we're going the wrong way here, son. That you have been patient with me over and over again. Father, I pray this morning I pray that we would be a people of repentance, that we would understand and, and be aware of when we are going the wrong direction and that we would desire to say, whoa, 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 I got I to gotta go back this way. This morning, I pray that you would give us the courage to repent or that we would hear your voice and not resist it any longer. Father, I pray, do things only you can do this morning. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.